0: Well, we're a week away from Christmas here, in 2021, in the third week, I think, of Advent, and we are in Luke 1:39 through 45. This is the the passage where Mary has just been told by Gabriel that she is going to bear um, the Messiah and the Lord of Creation, her Maker. She's going to bear her Maker. She's going to give birth to a baby without. Um, having relations with, with a man, with Joseph, who's not yet her husband. He's her betrothed. They're engaged to be married, essentially. And so we pick up it sort of toward the end of Luke. Um, not, it's a long chapter, sort of in the middle. Uh, what's happened again is that, um, not only has Mary been told this by Gabriel, but before that in Luke's account, um, six months ahead of her, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who's older and who's barren, never could have kids. And even if she had been able to, uh, she's too old now. She's past the age of childbearing. She is told um, through an angel to her husband. who's a, They're both of the priestly line. Both Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah are of the priestly tribe of Levi. And they are both they are told that they're going to have a sort of double miracle. They're going to have a son and he's going to be the one who's going to pave the way. He's going to be the Elijah um, that the Old Testament prophesies that's going to pay a prophet in the power of of Elijah. He's going to be going to look like Elijah and sound like Elijah. He's going to live out in the desert and he's going to prepare the way for the coming King. That's going to save God's people. And it's going to save the world. He's going to remake creation. Um, Mary is then told by six months later by the angel Gabriel that she's going to have an even more miraculous birth um, and an even more miraculous child. Um, Her birth isn't even going to involve, not only is she, you know, barren, you're not going to be barren, you're not even going to have relations with a man. God is going to overpower you. The Holy Spirit is going to, I shouldn't say overpower, the word is overshadow. It's an elegant translation uh, into King James and that that the ESV is inherited. And uh, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and you're going to conceive by God. So the Savior is going to be fully god god his father not joseph his father but fully human because mary his mother is going to carry him and she's going to provide the egg so it's an amazing thing as as god jesus will be able to save us and remake creation and take care of the sin problem that poisons god's good creation but as a man he'll be able to represent us right so Man. Okay. So where do we, that's, that's all pre previews. That's, that's all stuff that we have not, that we're not even going to get to because it's already, Luke's already mentioned it, but our text is Luke one thirty nine through 45. And it, Mary has just heard this news. Elizabeth's six months pregnant. So Mary books it down from the hill country in Galilee um, down South close to Jerusalem into the, the province, the clan of Judah, the tribe of Judah and uh, probably close to Jerusalem. That's all we're told is it's it's she runs down south to Judah, to Judea. And. Um, what happens is. When Elizabeth. Hears the approach of Mary, Mary probably calls out to her. Elizabeth, it's me. And as soon as before they even see each other, presumably as soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, two things happen. Now, remember, there are no telephones. Mary has not said, she's not given a word, presumably, that she's coming. Maybe she had, but um, no telephones, no internet, none of that. So she runs up, surprises her cousin, and as soon, Elizabeth says, as soon as your voice reached me, the baby in my womb, now I'm six months pregnant, le- leapt, did a somersault, essentially. For joy. And then Mary and then Elizabeth breaks in right after that, she breaks into a um, well, she says she's filled the whole. So the two things that happen are in quick succession. John is filled the baby in her womb six months in utero is 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 filled with the Holy Spirit. He jumps. He, he jumps at the presence of not Mary, but the one Mary is carrying, who at this point is just days old. Just days old. Uh, Jesus. He's in the presence of his maker. He jumps for joy. And then Elizabeth says, without knowing anything, she she's she's filled with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And she says, who am I um, that I should be in the presence of the mother of my Lord? Amazing. Amazing. Um, so we're going to just sort of dive into this text a little bit. So, what, this is one of the, I think one of the key texts in the Bible, and there are quite a few, but this is one of the key ones that really speaks to the preciousness of, of what is inside of a mother's womb when she's pregnant. It's not a pregnancy. It's not a tissue of cells. It's a human. Um, because it says that John is filled with joy. What, you know, tissues, clusters of cells can't be filled with joy. Humans are filled with joy. He's six months in utero, and he's filled with joy. He also senses the presence of his Savior, the one that, and he, from the get-go, is already, even before he's born, he's already fulfilling his function, his um, reason for existence, and that is to prepare the way for Messiah, because he's attesting to, to the lordship of the one who is just a few days old, In Mary's womb. Mary's six months behind her cousin. So she's just been told this by Elizabeth. But we know that she's pregnant because John attests to it, and so does Elizabeth. And so it says so much about not only John in the womb, six months old, but Jesus in the womb, at a few days old, is called the Lord. And John senses his presence. He's He's no less Lord because he's small. He's a very, very, very small fetus embryo. But he's not just a fetus embryo. He's a person. He's the Lord. He's no less Lord. He's no less creator. He's no less Messiah. He's no less of a person, of a human. He's fully human and he's fully Lord. And his shape and his size and his immaturity doesn't diminish his, his humanity and his worth. And that's also said, could be said of, of John at six months old. You know, it's scary to think that um, under Texas law, which is one of the most, it's been controversial as of late, it's one of the most stringent in the country now. Maybe the most stringent, but you can't abort now, according to the law as it stands, the new law passed by the Texas Congress. You cannot abort a child that's over, essentially over six weeks. It depends on the heartbeat. That's about when the heartbeat shows up in a a fetus. Um, Jesus could have been legally aborted even in Texas. The Lord of creation come to save us could have been, but with the blessing of the law, aborted um, in Texas. And certainly even even John, six months old, could have been aborted in most most places in the United States Um, and certainly under Roe v. Wade, under their health of the mother provision. So. uh, And, you know, John, he's filled first with joy and he leaps and then Elizabeth is filled with the spirit and she says what she does. And so um, they're connected. She's carrying her son six months in the womb, but he's the one who leaps. He's the one that is first filled and first reacts. And so you see there that in this narrative, there's clearly a distinction between the human John and then his mother, Elizabeth. Um, and same with, same with Jesus. He's called the Lord of Elizabeth and Mary's Lord. Uh, and he's, so he's being carried by Mary, but he's a distinct human. He's a distinct person and he carries a distinct dignity. Um, it just says so much. This little narrative from Luke one verse thirty nine to forty five. This little passage about certainly about Jesus and John, uh, and about John's attesting to who Jesus is, but also just about the value of human life, unborn human life in the in the mother's womb. Very strong passage. Um, and you know, this says a lot too. It says so many things. One of the things it says is that it's a harbinger of a new age. That John's reaction is, is actually a great message to a world that has not heard the word of God in almost 500 years, about 450 years at this point. It's a dried up people of God who are under foreign dominion who are waiting for God to visit them. And John John in the womb still is saying, here he is. And what, what, what happens? He leaps with joy, and he, he leaps with joy. Um, and I should actually pull out my, my Bible here and, and read the verse in Luke here, in Luke chapter 1. It says this. It says, for behold, this is Luke 144. For behold, when the sound of your greeting, this is Elizabeth speaking to Mary, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And, you know, not only is John saying the Lord is here, the Messiah is here, the promised one, the one that the scriptures have foretold, but also that the nearness, what Jesus means is that the nearness in his ministry, the nearness of God is now going to bring us joy. The nearness of God to a sinful people is a disaster. Because God is holy and he can't be in the same place with sin unless unless there's atonement unless there's payment for sin and covering over sin and uh you know sin can't be in god's presence the same way that you know someone like you or i could be in the presence of the sun too close to the sun the sun would just incinerate us because of its nature that's the same with god except god made the sun like like it was nothing snapped his fingers he breathed it out it's just a mid middle-sized star in a in a in a small solar system in the corner of a normal sized galaxy of which there are i think millions that we know of right so if not trillions um so god is is intense in his purity and hatred of evil as he is powerful and the universe kind of gives us just a, t- a just a small sense of his power his holiness he, his 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 um, attributes are not, they're all infinite. They're not in various sizes. You know, a little bit of holiness, a lot of power. No, he's infinite in his power. We see some of that in the size of the universe, size of stars, the power of these, of these combustion, these nuclear, you know, juice of combustion chambers. Um, and so his holiness and his purity and his hatred of evil are in equal measure infinite. But Jesus comes to us fully God enters into the womb by the conception of the Holy Spirit of this virgin. And John's reaction is joy. The coming of Jesus is good news. He's going to take care of the sin problem. He's going to bring God near by coming near to us himself. And as he comes near to us, he is God come near. And then he brings us back to the Father. He, as the Son, paves the way through his own life and death and resurrection, paves a way of peace, a highway of peace for us to return in love and acceptance to the father through his life and his death. Um, <clears throat> and so one of the things that John's ministry and his message as he gets older and starts preaching, but even here, um, as he gives us this sneak peek as he's still in the womb into his ministry, he's coming to pave the way for Messiah. Um, he's showing us that the presence and nearness of God should bring joy we, uh, we we see that all over the Bible and all over the Psalms. Like, let me read Psalm uh, 98, verses 7 through 9, just briefly. I need to keep moving here, but um, I think this point is worth belaboring. So Psalm 98, verse 7 through 9, this just gives you a picture of the way that creation reacts to the nearness of its creator, to the approach of its maker. All worshipers of images are put to shame. Excuse me. Wrong, wrong psalm. Uh, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord comes, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. He's going to get rid of evil. He's going to do away with it. That, that thing that's poisoning his creation, you know, and I, and I mentioned this in another uh, message, but the, the, the better we are, the more good we are. And the less evil that's in us, the more we will hate evil. The more we will react to injustice and evil. Uh, When we see someone being abused, taken advantage of, um, when we see injustice, um, we will react. We will hate it. When we see, you know, if if if, if you are married and you come across your spouse committing adultery to the degree that you love your spouse, and love and honor your marriage and the marriage bed you're going to be furious if it doesn't bother you if you're like hey you walk around hey y'all have fun that's that's the sign that you're dead inside That you don't value your spouse you don't value marriage there's something terribly wrong with you god reacts the way that he does with wrath and fury against sin and evil because of his goodness um so john is showing this us that the presence and nearness of god should bring joy but because of our sin It doesn't, but Jesus' first advent, his coming to be with us, it changes that. Um, He came to bring joy by restoring us to God in right relationship, by by removing sin, by becoming the sin sacrifice and reinstating righteousness. Um, And let me put this starkly so that we don't miss it. Joy is for all those who run to Jesus. Wrath is for those who don't. You can see that very clearly at the end of Psalm chapter 2. You can see that really clearly there. Um, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So our message as Christians should be flee from the wrath to come, run to joy. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the only way to find joy and peace with God. Um, and we really see that here, uh, just just hints of it, strong hints of it with, with, with John and his flipping in his mom's womb. Um, he's, he's living out his, from, from start until death, he's living out his calling and preparing the way for Messiah. Would that, would that we could do the same. Would that we could tell the world we'd be filled with joy because we're filled with the presence of the living God in Jesus Christ, with our eyes fixed on him, trusting him and calling others to do the same with the way that we speak of Jesus, with the way, with our joy. We're filled with the Holy Spirit through through the presence of Christ and the work of Christ on our behalf and telling people this is he's this is the way to run from the wrath to come. When he comes a second time, he's coming in judgment. He came a first time to make peace. So run to him. Um, And notice, too, just throughout this text, it's the Holy Spirit who shows Elizabeth who's coming. She doesn't. How would she know of her own intelligence and intuition that Mary is even pregnant and much, much more that Mary is carrying? You know, this this baby that's the size of a lima bean or a raisin, but he is, he is her Lord. Um, What does Elizabeth say? She says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The Holy Spirit's the one who reveals that. You can never, it's the same for you and it's the same for me and it's the same for anyone who believes on Jesus as the Lord and Savior. As the one that God sent to make peace by his cross no one will ever believe that unless the holy spirit reveals it to them so don't think the pressure's on you we are given the privilege of sharing the good news of jesus christ and what he's done for us but you can never convince a single person that's the holy spirit's job and the holy spirit will do it also so don't feel dejected you know like like a failure in other words you'd be sad that they've rejected jesus if they do but don't don't feel like you're a failure if someone if you share the gospel and someone rejects jesus or don't feel like a don't feel like it's it's your you get to take credit for it. Don't feel proud and arrogant and like you're really good at this. If people believe on Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's always the work of the Holy Spirit. You can, no one can believe anything true about Jesus Christ unless God through his spirit reveals it to them. And we see that here with Elizabeth and we see with John. Even John, who's inside the womb, he just hears he senses the presence of his Lord. He hears Mary's voice and he knows who it is and he does a flip flop in the womb. And he's, and he's filled with joy. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. We cannot have joy. The Holy Spirit brings joy. The Holy Spirit brings comfort. We cannot have true joy unless the Holy Spirit brings it to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings joy. The second fruit of the Spirit, it's all of a piece, but is love, joy. This is in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Joy is the mark of the Christian. Our our Lord was a Lord of sorrows because his life he bore our burdens and our sins and became our guilt sacrifice, but he had deep joy. And he gives that to us. Um not as the world gives, but he gives that to us. And uh there was a missions professor in my old seminary who would walk up to people even that he didn't know and he'd say, Hey brother, have you got the joy? And what he meant by that is, Are you a Christian? If you don't have the joy, the joy is a litmus test, among other things, for the Christian. Uh, A joyless Christian, sort of like a proud Christian, is an oxymoron. Um, It's a mark of a new creature in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, that you have joy. You know, hope beyond the walls of the world. Hope beyond your circumstances, because you know where you're headed. Your sins have been taken care of. You have peace with God. You know who you are, regardless of what others say about you, your circumstances say about you, your resume says about you, or your failures or successes. You are God's beloved of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Um, And and then homing in on sort of the last bit here in our text and then just say a couple things about Mary's song. Mary bursts into a song. It's called the Magnificat, uh, which is is the first in the Latin Vulgate, the Latin translation from the fourth century um, of this text. Magnificat is the first word in the Latin. So that comes from that. Her song that she bursts into praising God for what he's done um, comes from that. But. As I uh, just before we get to that briefly, because that's not that's not our text. Our text is just thirty nine to forty five, forty six through, through fifty five of Luke one is is Mary's song. I'm just going to touch on that because it's connected. And how can I not? But, um, you know, how how encouraged do you think Mary was? But Even before we get to her song, you can sense the encouragement. She had been told by Gabriel this is going to happen. She goes here, hasn't even told her cousin and her cousin before she even sees Mary, says you're carrying my Lord. The baby that I'm pregnant with, who's going to prepare the way for Messiah, just did somersaults when he sensed the presence of our Lord. Uh, Mary, you're carrying your maker. I mean, how, how, how much do you think that encouraged Mary, that she wasn't taking crazy pills? God's so good. But um, if you look at verse 45 here, the last verse in our text, Luke 1:45, Elizabeth says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And really, um, I've titled this message here, She Who Believed, because um, God blesses those who believe. There's such a premium put on faith. And who believe what? Well, ultimately, who believe on Jesus as the ultimate and final and best word of God, because Jesus is the very word of God. He expresses God and God's plan and God's love perfectly to us. He tells us exactly what God's heart is for us and what God has done for us. And um, he articulates the heart of God to us, and so to believe on Jesus is the obedience that God requires. And you know, um, Mary's attitude was so she says, "Blessed is she who believed this word." You know, God comes to you and set through an angel, through an intermediary, and says, "Oh, he, um, you're going to conceive by God, not by man, and He's going to be the Savior of the world." By the way, and she says, "How is this going to happen?" Because she asks, "How?" It's like, "Oh, I don't understand," and he, and he gets explained to her. But she says, "Okay." you said it, I believe it. And that's, that's really what she says is God said it, he He will do it. But God prizes faith in his word. That's what Elizabeth's saying here. And you know, it kind of sounds churchy, but it's really, it's really practical. Like every parent, it's intuitive, every parent understands this, um, that every parent loves it when, when his or her children obey, uh, believe his word and to believe for for our kids to believe our word is for them to to hear and to obey. Right. Um, it's so frustrating when you have to when your kids say, why, why do I have to do this? Um, now, not when they say why, like I'd like an explanation. I'll do it. no, I'm going to do it. But I'm curious as to why. That's fine. We teach our kids. We try to. Um, you can ask why all day long. But first, we want you to say yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And do it. And then you can ask us if you're curious. And we may or may not tell you. We typically try to explain why, but they need to be able to. We want them to believe us, to trust our word. And that means to act on it. And it's so much, it's blessing for them. They get more privileges. We don't get frustrated. We don't have to repeat ourselves. Um, We're asking them to do it for a good reason. We think God always does. And um, it just makes things so much easier, right? And it brings blessing. It brings life. It brings joy. When they don't do it, it brings frustration. They have privileges taken away. Sometimes they can get hurt. How much more the case with God and us? And so, again, God's word to us is Jesus. So to believe on him and who he claims to be and, to, and what he claims to have done and to be doing um, and to bank our lives on him and, and his word is the key to life and blessing. So, so to believe that God in his son, Jesus Christ, has done what you can never do to save you by living a life of obedience from the heart to the father in your place and by dying a death um of of a guilt offering um bearing our guilt and shame and becoming our sin. 2nd Corinthians 521 on the cross and becoming a an atoning sin sacrifice for us taking care of the sin problem and then rising three days later to prove that that his payment was enough was was accepted by the father not for him he wasn't he was sinless he didn't need to die for himself he died for you to believe on that to believe that he's the way back to the father not not your own goodness um, is, the, is what is God's word. To believe on that pleases him. Think about how displeasing it is that he's gone through all that and if you don't believe that, you're flouting God. Or if you ignore that, you're still rejecting him. There is no third way. You either reject God or believe on him and are, and are saved. And so um, to trust that word from God that you are fully loved and accepted and brought into his family through the work of another, his son that he sent to save you. Um, to believe that in the face of your feelings, which may tell you one day or the next, or one hour or the next, feelings are so um, fluctuating, right? They're so they're so unreliable. They're so volatile. Um, to 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 look to your feelings and say, "Well, I don't I don't feel very loved right now." I don't, I feel very, I feel like God's condemning me. Or or to look to your circumstances. Not, not, maybe not your feelings, but what if you look to your circumstances? Or, you know, I'm really going through a tough time right now. God must be judging me. He must hate me. Well, what does His Word say about that through Jesus Christ versus your circumstances? His Word word says if you're in Christ, He loves you without condition. He's not punishing you. He punished Jesus in their place. He's, He's disciplining you for your good, to make you more like Jesus because He loves you you're going to believe your word or you're going to believe your circumstances? you're going to believe your you're going to believe his word or are you going to believe uh, your feelings are you going to believe his word or are you going to believe what other people say about you so you, so this is really this plays and this is what this is what the centerpiece of this text blessed is she who believed um, what god promised yeah. who uh, who believed there would be a fulfillment like elizabeth says of what was spoken to her from the lord so mary I don't know how this is going to happen you've explained it some but I believe it because you've said it and God prizes that. And he literally changes the world through that as Mary carries to birth and then raises this, this son who is her Lord. Um, okay. Now, before just briefly touching on the Magnificat Mary song, what does the fact that God became, as we sort of wrap this up, and try to apply it. What does the fact that God became a single-celled zygote in a young woman's womb, in a virgin's womb, say about his restoration of our humanity? It says something very good to us. It says, it says something that's extremely good news. It says that he came to restore us start to finish, soup to nuts, A to Z. He, One theologian of old, one of the early church fathers said, what is not taken up is not, is not healed. What is not assumed Is not healed. In other words, um, he, having been born as we are, but without sin and without a human father, but having started as a single cell in his mother's womb, he he can now represent from the very start of our human life us at every stage. And he carried that through all the way to adulthood and to death. And so at every stage of our life, he represents us in his life. And then finally in his death, his death for our death. Um, so, and he can also identify too not just represent us and act as our substitute, but he can identify with every stage, even from being in his mother's womb. Right. Um, and Mary was so encouraged again by, I'm sure by this. she pondered, she pondered all this in her heart. Um, like I said, verses 46 through 55 of the Song of Mary, as she reacts to this, this just pops out of her, and we're not going to go line by line through it. It's not even part of our text, but I couldn't resist just noting a couple things. Um, she It's full of the Old Testament, which means she was a woman who, and this is no doubt one of the reasons God picked her, because she um, knew the Bible. She soaked in the Bible. She meditated on, meditated on it. She almost certainly read because she knew it so well. And it was a very oral, oral culture, but it was also a lot more literate, I think, than than a lot of scholars even today realize. And there are new studies coming out verifying that. But the Jews in this time were literate people. Um, I think she might have been exceptional in that as a, as a fairly poor middle class Jewish girl, she could read. Either way, point is she was full of scripture. She loved God's word. And she was able to believe it, I think, in large part because she had been soaking in it for however many, 14, 15 years, however old she was. She was almost certainly a teenager. And so what comes out is Scripture? What comes out of Scripture? And, you know, I just want to touch on two things briefly. And the first is that, you know, in the ESV, for instance, in, which is an English translation that I use and that our church uses, uh, the first word is my, my soul. First two words. And the first line is my soul magnifies the Lord. And then she kind of repeats herself and says, and this is the way that Hebrew poetry worked, uh, and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. In the, um, in the, uh, in the Latin translation, again, it's the first word is magnificat, so magnifies. And in the Greek and the original New Testament, uh, text, it's also, um, megalune is the Greek word, but that's also, that's magnifies, right? So magnifies my soul, the Lord. And I think what's significant about that, again, we're not doing a deep dive minute exegesis, but she doesn't even start with the word my, even, even though she's getting there. She doesn't start with the word I, which would have been fine. But what does she start with? Magnifies. She starts with a verb that points us to God, uh, his greatness. His, this the first word out of her mouth is, God, you are magnificent. You are great. And that's all wrapped up in that first word, magnificat. Magalune. Um, she understands that God is great and that her proper place is within that, under that greatness, that he is the prime actor. And, he, and, and what does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God. What? My Savior. Mary needs a Savior as much as anyone. She was not chosen because she was sinless. She was not sinless. Jesus died for his mother and her sins as well. But she was a godly woman, a woman of faith, a woman who knew God's word and loved God's word and loved God. If you love God's word, you love God. If you love God, you love God's word. Um, now, she needs a savior. She recognizes that. And she's carrying that savior. Right. And then she goes on. This is the first sentence. Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant into the first sentence. So she starts by saying magnifies she's taught she's pointing to God you are great and she ends that first sentence by saying by calling herself his servant the word is doulos slave God you are great I'm your slave I'm your loved slave right I'm your beloved servant but that's the proper she realizes her proper place in the universe she's not the center God is and she revolves around him and she bows to him and she adores him and Mary's universe is rightly ordered, and this is the key to happiness. And America has it exactly backwards. We say we're on the throne, follow your heart, do whatever you want to do to make you happy, you're the king. Um, and, 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 we, and even our, the American church, I think, is leading the way in the Me Show. It's all about me. Even our worship services, their productions, their shows, their spectacles, They they spotlight, they spotlight not God and his magnificence, but stage performers. No, God is high and God is awesome to save and to damn, to create and to destroy. Luke two twelve five, Isaiah forty five seven, and we are His ser- slaves, His servants, that He treats so well that He lays His life down for us and makes us sons. But that doesn't mean that we cease to be His servants. We are, we are His servants. Um, and this might make you feel uncomfortable to think that you're a slave of a living God, but you're either a slave of Satan or a slave of God, and if to the degree I think that it makes us uncomfortable is to the degree that we have been enculturated, we've been conditioned by our culture, um, and we're not used to thinking of ourselves as servants, but, but we are. We're either servants of, of Satan, and he will devour us, or we're servants of God, and he will give his life for us and be devoured for us, and as he has indeed done in Christ. Uh, and then the more we understand our proper place in God's proper place... The more, the happier we'll be, I want to contend. And the more, because the more in tune with reality. You know? The more I understand that how gravity works, the more in tune with reality I am, and the happier I'll be if I obey that understanding, if I live by that understanding, if I don't step off buildings, because I know that gravity is going to mean that I fall and splat on the concrete. Um, so, that's that. Um, and the other thing I just want to talk again that two points about the Magnificat, just just in this brief, and the first is that she starts with the word magnifies. And she starts with God, and she understands that she's God's servant. Um but the meat of her song, um, this set kind of is it sets the stage, this opening that we just talked about for the rest of her song. Um it's all about the high and mighty God lifting the low and lowering the high, the proud. And God's going to do that preeminently through Jesus in coming to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, the highest will come low and will go to the lowest place to hell. Um, Jesus, he is he was he came from the throne of the living God as God to take hell for us to go to the lowest place to be damned. Um, and he He came to do that to lift the highest went to the lowest place to lift the lowest sinner to the highest place to heaven and heaven's throne to 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 god ephesians 2 6 and that's really what paul says in philippians 2 isn't it the highest came to the lowest and is now at the highest place and lifts us up to where he is um the proud who think that they're doing fine and don't need any help will be put low to the lowest place to hell i don't need any help i can do it fine on my own that's to reject jesus that's not that's not popular to say or nice to hear it grates on our ears but it doesn't make it any less true um, God's Word says it and so we believe it and Mary's song is full of it she's it's full of the salvation and the judgment of God because what is pressed into the idea of salvation that we need some we need saving from something and what is that something ultimately it's the one who cannot just kill the body but but cast the soul into hell and that's God and Jesus talked more about hell than any other character in the Bible and more than maybe more than any other thing he any other single topic he talked about money is the contender money and hell or his favorite topics. And, you know, I think he talked about it so much because he knew what, how bad it was. And he knew that he was coming to rescue us from it by going there himself. So hell yeah, he's going to talk about hell a lot. We, part of our message again, has to be flee from the wrath to come. Flee to Jesus. He's the giver. He's a giver of joy. Merry Christmas.